I feel like that um, in, in this time of um, chaos and concern, there's so much that is being said and, and uh, so many voices and whatever. And even the church, uh, I feel like that a lot of times that God is not being represented uh, very well. And so I want to actually say, you know, as a pastor with, uh, you know, 25 years plus of pastoral ministry, um, you know, what would I do if um, uh, a family came in and uh, they said their son or their daughter is confused about their sexuality? And that's kind of how I want to address this, you know. So transitional, uh, transgender concerns, um, that, that topic is a big one, and it's all over the news right now. And I, the last thing I want is to be one more political voice. I don't want to do that at all. Although I do suggest that we pray, we vote, and we do all the things we're supposed to do. And, and honestly, right now, before Congress, you should be contacting your senators and talk to them about the Equality Act and... Um, you can do what I did, contact my two senators, and they basically said, forget it, Rich. But anyways, you should, you should still contact them. And, um, you know, so uh, this is not meant to be political. I don't feel like that the uh, issue of, of transgender or even uh, gender dysphoria, I, I don't feel like that that subject is being treated from like a pastoral perspective very often. And when I say pastoral, uh, like I said last week, I talked about salt and light being uh, people who receive wisdom or revelation from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God. Jesus came and brought a word. He brought to us a message, a lifestyle, and a way to receive it, a way to live it. And um, so if the church is to be anything, it's to be salt and light. But, but if the salt loses its salt, how can it be salty again? And, and we want to say at that point, Jesus is basically saying it can't be done. But he didn't say that. What has to happen is the church has to return to Jesus. And when we return to Jesus, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And he can give us a wisdom from the word of God and from the spirit of God. A wisdom that's not from the earth, it's from above. And, and I feel like that that wisdom is not being shared uh, often enough. So my goal, three things, real quick, I'll just share with you so you know where we're coming from. Uh, goal number one is to prepare this community. So when I say pastoral counseling, I know that a lot of people think only pastors can do that. But pastoral counseling means the kind of counseling we give to each other because we love God and we love his word. And so we go to the word of God and we try to find a solution for the challenges that are in front of us. And, and so I think that really all Christians should be exercising uh, pastoral counseling with neighbors, friends, family members as, as God opens the door. So number one, my goal is to create in this community of faith to be a redemptive people who know how to respond to transgendered people or transgendered questions or people who uh, consider themselves to be um, diagnosed uh, gender dysphoric. I want to know how we should respond to them uh, rather than having a, you know, a, an immediate heartfelt uh, reaction that is oftentimes um, damaging and uh, not helpful that the church should have a position. And I just really believe that a lot of times 
the church has been given opportunities and you really shouldn't say the first thing that comes to your mind. You should search your spirit and say, God, what am I supposed to do in this moment? And how can I actually build a bridge? So I want us to become a redemptive people, people who know how to take uh, difficult topics on. How about you? Okay, uh, secondly, I want to plant a seed of courage in the hearts of someone who may have no cause for concern at all right now, but down the road at some point, maybe a loved one confides with them, maybe a child, a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a lot of grandparents raising children today, raise uh, a concern. These children could raise a concern, and they're confused about their sexuality, and uh, that mom, that dad, that loved one doesn't know exactly what to do. I just want to plant a seed of hope. There's answers. There are real answers, and Jesus can actually help us navigate um, even these modern waters, which I must say that um, sins such as uh, prostitution, adultery, and um, uh, other sexual sins really have been around for a long time. Homosexuality, all those things have been around for a long time. The thing that is different is the technology that is available today to create uh, changes, uh, physical changes. I remember that. I remember a time when, when the counsel was, you know, if you're considering a, a hip surgery or uh, getting a tattoo, it's like the, these are permanent things and you should really consider uh, well what you're about to enter into but now we have technology to change people's um, sexual gender um, uh, at least on the outside and uh, we we need to know how to respond when suddenly someone a loved one is in front of us and uh, they have a confusion or concern and third and last, I want to encourage anyone who may be transgendered or in the process of transgendering, gender dysphoric or someone who's just very lost and confused right now, to turn to Jesus uh, because uh, there is help and there is healing. It may not be an easy road, but any road you choose is not going to be easy. Any road you take is not going to necessarily be easy. So I want you to consider um, the claims and the counsel that we would find in the scriptures. So that's my goal for this message today. I have no desire to create a listenership or a, a likes or subscribes or have no interest in becoming uh, someone who's known in the news or in the media. I really, you know, if you want to send me hate mail, you can. I, I'm just not trying to do that. I'm just actually trying to help a people of faith navigate these dicey waters that we find ourselves in. Is that okay? All right, so let's do, go over a couple of terms just to make sure that we're on the same page. I know that there will be someone who will text or email me, and that's fine, and say you don't have it exactly right. Well, it's so fluid. It's changing all the time. So the word transgender means someone who has or is in the process of changing their gender, um, either through uh, uh, surgery, plastic surgery, hormone therapy, etc. So someone who is or in the process of that. But there is also something that we should be aware of. It's called gender dysphoria, which is a diagnosis that is listed in the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders, or the DSM-5. That's, that's our main mental health 
guideline that we go to. Whenever someone is diagnosed bipolar, for example, or someone is diagnosed as uh, having Alzheimer's or someone who's, uh, you, you know, suffering from uh, paranoid schizophrenia or you, the mental health disorders, which, by the way, excuse me, let me cough. <clears throat> we, we, the church really should be praying and becoming a part of the community that brings healing uh, and care and nurture to people suffering from um, mental disorders. Well, believe it or not, in that manual, uh, the American Psychiatric Association has created uh, a, a, um, a diagnosis uh, for a person who is gender dysphoric. And that is replacing the old term, which was gender identity disorder, both of them being very closely. But the term gender dysphoria focuses on one's discomfort as the problem rather than an identity. So a person saying, I'm feeling very uncomfortable in the body and the skin that I live in. I feel as though even though I present as a male, I, I feel really female or something of the sort, vice versa. So... Um, with those couple of um, uh, terms out there, I'll be referring to some of them back and forth in just a moment. I want to give a couple of disclaimers. One of them is that pastoral counseling is not more important than clinical counseling, therapy, psychology, psychiatrists. I'm not saying at all that pastoral counseling it sur surpasses that or is better than that. But I'm going to also say it's not less than that. The training is in the scriptures, not in the sciences. And so I, I really believe that um, you've not heard all the voices until you've actually had pastoral counseling. You've not heard them all, okay? So that's my disclaimer on that. Number two, I'm going to also say that uh, anyone today hearing me, I want you to hear this uh, as clearly as I can possibly say, say it. I don't... It really doesn't matter to me what confusion or what uh, problem or trial or um, challenge or confusion is going on in your mind. Whether you've transgendered or you're in the process or you're considering, I want you to hear me say this clearly. The church and Jesus Christ loves you. That's the starting point. We love you. And, and with that, I want to use one verse, and we'll come back to one more disclaimer. But I want to find this verse in Luke chapter, um, ooh, let's see, Luke chapter 6. I want to go there for a moment because this is the one that, uh, that we use oftentimes uh, about judging, okay, and being critical. Um, Jesus is speaking. That's why it's written in red in most translations of the Bible. In Luke 6, 41, and I'm not really going into the council yet. I just want to say where we're coming from on all of this so that we're, we're clear. Um, Luke 6, verse number 41. Jesus said, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Okay? So the, Jesus is going after the sin of hypocrisy. Like, why would you look at someone with a clouded vision and make some kind of a judgment uh, pertaining to them when you have plenty of problems yourself, right? That, that's where he's going with this. Verse number 42, or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take this speck that is in your eye, let me take that speck out, 
when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. Has anyone ever heard this verse before? It's a scary one, right? You know, it's like you see a little speck in someone else's eye, but you don't see the log in your own eye. Okay. Now, here's how you have to read Jesus because he was, uh, you know, he was in a particular culture, a particular time, and a particular place. And you say, okay, now I want to follow Jesus. And by the way, he speaks through his spirit and he guides through the scriptures. But like, I need to know how to navigate these words now when I've got words in front of me that Jesus never uh, spoke of, right? So here's how you can read it, okay, as well. What if a God-loving man or woman who brings their heart before the Lord every day in devotion and is continually saying, God, search my heart and know it. Know me, try me, see me, see if there's any wicked way within me. In other words, we're coming before God for inspection every day and we're dealing with our stuff. What if that guy, what if that woman who does that every day and actually has the love of God brewing in their heart, what if they see someone, anyone, and you can see a little tiny speck in their eye and and you can have a concern because you actually see clearly. Doesn't mean you're better than them. That doesn't mean you don't have any stuff. It just means I've dealt with my stuff. I've dealt with my own stuff. And because I've dealt with my own stuff, I can see just a little speck of something that's in someone else's eye, and I know the trajectory from here. That's how you, that's how you read Jesus in, into your time. That's how you understand. So he's making a very real warning that never goes away in any age. But then in an age like this, you can also ask, what if a person actually has done the hard work through uh, prayer and through uh, counseling, through um, deliverance in some cases and and inner healing? What if a person's done the hard work of bringing their heart before the Lord and they've been filled with his love and healed and they have love and compassion and yet they're still human and they're on this side of eternity but, but because they've done the hard work of dealing with their stuff that they might just have a love and when they have that love, they might just look into the eye of someone and say, I can see a just, it's just a little speck, but I, I can tell you that there's pain ahead. There's danger ahead. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to caution you. I'm here to caution you. We could camp on that for a while. All right, disclaimer disclaimers that I want to make first uh, God first of all as I said he loves you and we should love you too and we are trying lastly um, many children of all ages are curious confused or clueless about their sexuality so don't rush them just gonna throw that out there you know a lot of kids depending on their situation circumstances etc there, it's not uncommon for children who have not had, uh, you know, a, a sexual experience um, with their husband, their wife, etc. What you know, a lot of times kids have a lot of confusion, and we should really help to guide them. But the last thing we want to do is is rush them, because kids question themselves in all kinds of ways. And I know that that will sound like hate speech to some people. 
You don't know what it's like to be trapped in this thing. You're, you're right, I don't. I, I really don't. But I, I do know what it's like to be a, a young person, to be awkward. I know what it's like to grow up. I know what it's like uh, to be confused. I know, I know what that's... And I know what it's like to be tempted. I really do. Fortunately, I had a lot of guardrails around my life uh, from, you know, father and mother and the church and others, you know, who tried to help me to navigate those things. So now I'm having conversation about sexuality in front of my mother it's just like one of the worst things I can think of right now but <clears throat> but hallelujah she remained a woman <laughs> you know all right so what would I say with that little bit of here's my goal here's the terms and there's my disclaimer okay so what would I say let's just say uh, a, a loving family walks into the um, office and um and tells me a sad story about a child who's very confused about their sexuality. And I want to just interrupt myself and say for a second, it wasn't too long ago that we were talking about what if um, a child would walk in and he has identified as a homosexual or a daughter as a lesbian and, and, and they want to marry and stuff like that. You know, uh, you know, we were thinking, oh my gosh, you know, how would we respond to that? What should we do? And, and most of us weren't experiencing that in our families. And now we all, now we all know someone. Now we all know families that are struggling and, 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 and working through that process. So um, I'm going to tell you it's very likely that in the near future um, you'll remember this conversation and say, oh my God, I didn't think it would be here, but here it is right in front of me. You know, so let's just say that mom or dad comes in and they says, Pastor, um, I don't know what to do. I, I've got this loved one and they're very confused about their sexuality. What is the first thing I'm going to say? The first thing I'm going to say is, could I talk to them? Can you get them in or can I go to them? Can I? Because what I want to do is hear their story. Can I tell you that in this this day of social media and all kinds of media and shouting and, you know, um, political season that we seem to still be in and all this stuff that is going on, we've created a world of people who just don't listen to each other. Everyone's talking, but no one's listening. Honestly, I feel a little bit of guilty because here I am doing it again. I'm talking to you, and you have to listen to me, you know. And I don't know what, let's just say that uh, if you have a story, I would love to hear your story. But that's the starting place. The starting place is for me. I, I understand you and your concern, and I can minister to you and your concern, but I want to talk to them. Will you let me? Will they let me? Is there... And if, if the answer is absolutely not, then that's where we start to pray. We say, let's pray that even though they're not willing to, to, to share their story now with someone, um, they might be willing in the future, especially as the Holy Spirit begins to work. All right? Why? Why do I want to hear their story? In fact, is that, um, isn't that part of what's going on? Everybody seems to be on Facebook telling me their story, you know? I mean, like things I didn't even want to know, you know? I mean, the, the thing is that it, it, it's not really that hard to believe that, um, 
it's no different than in the medical community. Now, again, I'm not going to compare myself to a doctor, but I will say this, that I've read uh, the statistics, and the statistics say that medical doctors make their diagnosis. 70 to 90% of a medical diagnosis is based on a patient's history. And only 15% on testing. So here's what happens is the doctor takes all his training, years of training, right? And it's legitimate. They've studied. I mean, doctors have studied, and they've gone through all of this uh, uh, um, um, uh, instruction and then internship and then, you know, you know all the, the, the board reviews and things like that. And once they have a, a knowledge base stored up within them, then with that knowledge base, then they start a practice. And as they start practicing medicine, they start to see trends again and again and again, over and over. So you come in and you say, um, Mr. Doctor, I have this pain in my shoulder back here. And, and he, he would say, when did that start happening? You know, how long has it been doing that, you know? Uh, and, and he would start down the road of asking questions, a lot of questions. And those questions become vital because once he gets your history and your background, okay, so like if, if, I'm, <clears throat> if I walk in there and say, doctor, I have a pain in my shoulder, he would say, Rich, you're getting old. <laughs> Get used to it. <laughs> if I walk in and I have a history of osteoporosis, they're going to take it a lot more serious than if I'm just getting older, okay? So the first thing I want to know is, just like a medical doctor, tell me your history. When did you start feeling this way? How did you start feeling this way? Who have you talked to? Who has talked to you? What are the events in your life? Have you suffered from any kind of abuse or neglect? Um, tell me about your family. Tell me about your family of origin or where you grew up. Tell me that I need to know, I need to hear your story. Because a person doesn't just walk in up to their mom and dad. Believe me, they have not just come to their mom and dad and said, Mom and dad, I'm just so confused. I, I don't know what to do. They have been thinking about that for a long time. They've been thinking about it for a long time. Then... Uh, with that, I just would remind you that even, and it might, this might seem off the wall, but when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Peter, James, and John, we just talked about that recently, they came down from the mountain and first thing they find is a, a man who has a, a boy, a young boy, and the boy is demon-possessed. And that demon throws the boy into a fire and, and you know, self-destructive nature, you know. And um, the disciples were not able to cast that demon out, so Jesus is um, implored by this man's, uh, by this boy's uh, dad to, to, um, to do something. And uh, the first thing that Jesus does is he says to the dad, why does he say this? I don't know. He says, how long has this been happening? How long has this been happening? Is Jesus just trying to build a bridge, a connection point? Well, that's important right there. Is he actually trying to make a diagnosis? What was going on when this boy became possessed? 
Or did he actually not need the information at all? He just was, he was just taking the attention off of the problem at hand, which was the disciples who couldn't do something, you know, and the crowd and the anger and all that sort of thing. And, and Jesus just takes that boy and that dad aside, and he says, how long has this been happening? Maybe he just showed him empathy. So I, I want to hear your story. So the next thing is, after I've been told the story, and I feel that I've heard it well, and, and let me just tell you that that's an ongoing practice. I mean, learning how to listen well is, is not easy. And if I could just remind us that most of us are more concerned about ourselves and how we're presenting than the person with the problem, if we could just kind of undo that and say, in spite of all of my quirks and insecurities, if I could just look past all that and look to you as a person, as a human being, now you're not, to me, now you're not a label. You're not a label. You're not a transgender. You're not, you know, you're not gender dysphoric. You're not a label. You're a person. You're a person who is struggling with something, and I wonder if I can help. I just want to hear your story. And after I've asked who, why, when, where, how, all, that, all those questions, then the next thing I would do is I would ask for permission. Permission I'm going to ask for is if I could share with them what the scriptures have to say. Now, based on that, I, I, I want to just remind you that, that the Bible is true no matter who is reading it, no matter who is uh, rejecting it, no matter who loves it or who misrepresents it. The Bible is true no matter what, you know. But I'm going to tell you that the Bible works best when you love Jesus. He said, if you love me, keep my words. So this is based on a love relationship, as Judy explained so well a while ago. So I'm going to just tell you that the scripture that I'm going to read right now, it's going to impact those of you who love Jesus more than those who have yet to love him. But if you don't love him yet, I want you to consider them anyways because there is a gem there that if you open your heart to it and hear it, like literally everything can change. Okay, so I'm going, believe it or not, to Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, in verse number 9, um, we read these words. So I'm going to just read it to you, um, three little verses. Psalm 46, 9. Now, the, let's say the young man or young woman is in front of me. They've told me their story. I've asked permission. Can I share a scripture with you? And they said, yes. So here's what I'm going to share with them. And by the way, you can, you, you, you can plagiarize this, this word of God. You can actually quote it, write it, print it, uh, publish it. Don't put your own name on it. But, you know, um, you should make it your own. And, and you can use this as well. And as a matter of fact, can I just tell you that this has been a go-to verse for a long time for me. Psalm 46, verse number 9. He, God, makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. And here's the one everybody recognizes. Be still and know. Or some translations say, cease. Be still and know that I am God. 
I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then there's that phrase, Selah, which at least it means to pause and to meditate and to reflect on what he just said. Okay, so here's how I want you to hear it today. Okay, by the way, if there's anyone experiencing anxiety, fear, or some such traumatic thing in your own life right now, no matter what it is, I just want you to hear this verse. Be still and know that God is God, that I am God. Okay, so be still. Slow down. See, the problem is, is everything's got to be rushed today, right? Everything's got to happen in a hurry, you know. But see, the problem with being rushed is you don't slow down and you don't listen. There's a voice inside of you. It's your own spirit. Your own spirit combined with the Holy Spirit. If you slow down for a minute, God will begin to speak. He'll speak from his spirit to your spirit. If you slow down for a moment and listen in your spirit, and you listen to the Spirit of God, He will tell you what is true about your circumstance, about your situation that you're in right now. And it says, I want you to know, not only is God God, but Jesus wants to be God to you right now, even here in the midst of this. I'm going to ask you to stand up because I think this is a point where we can all find an application. I just want you to hear this right now. And if you're watching online, I just want to say it to you very clearly that no matter what anxieties, no matter what challenges or problems are going on, if you would just slow down for a minute and just get quiet before the Lord, if you just became still for a moment, no matter what you're going through like right now, you can know that God wants to be God to you right now, right now. Father, I pray for, so, for anyone, for all of us who are living a fast-paced life, we're, we're on the treadmill and things are happening faster than we can process, I ask that you would help us to slow down, to hear our heartbeat, and to hear the voice of God speaking to us clearly and personally. Speak a word clearly and personally and assure us that you want to be God to us right now. In whatever it is we're going through. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your finances. It could be in your health. It could be in relationships with family members. It, oh, there's just, I mean, maybe you're being bullied. Maybe you're being pushed. Maybe you're just like frustrated and angry. It's like you're jacked up all the time and you have no idea. If you just slow down for a minute and listen to the voice of God, I promise you he wants to be God to you. So we, we invite you to be God to us right now. You're going to be God either way, but we, we give you permission. Come be God to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Hallelujah. So I would hear their story, and then I would ask if I could share a Bible verse. And now because um, 
it, it may be hard for you or for me to get it, but you, this person who's confused in front of me um, or in front of you, and I do trust that you will be as successful in ministry on any occasion as I ever have been because God wants to do the extraordinary through you. I want you to ask a question, and this question is designed to get the person to think about something they have never thought about. Brothers and sisters, church is essential because it is, it is God's front door. It is, it is God's mechanism of, it's his delivery system. It's, it's the people of God who gather together and worship together and get their hearts and lives in order before him. It, 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 it gives the people of God a voice that is not being heard in the world. And here's, here's, here we go. I want you to consider this. Let's just say, uh, for, for example, because I'm so male, I just identify with being male, you know. And let's say the, the, there's a young boy in front of me, very confused. And um, I would look at him and I would ask him, um, would you consider a question right now? I want to ask you a question, and I want your response. You just give it back to me. Whatever The first thing that comes to your mind, here's my question. My question is, think about it before you answer. But I'll bet it's the first answer that comes to your mind. What makes a boy a boy? What makes a girl a girl? Or said another way, what, what makes a man male? What makes a female a woman a female? What makes a man a man? And um, because all of us have so much science in us by now, you know, that we would say, well, when you're pregnant and you go for an ultrasound and they're just checking to make sure everything's right and they say oh you're having a little boy how do they identify that and is that even fair to identify you know so, oh okay okay it's either his thumb is in the way <laughs> or this is a little boy that you're having right you know so the first thing that we think of is genitalia right so for sake of uh, my purpose here, I'm just going to say, let's call boys X's. X's. They have external plumbing. And let's call girls um, O's. They have internal plumbing. So what makes an X an X and an O and O? Not an X and a Y. Let's not confuse all that. Let's, let, let's just go with what makes a boy a boy? What makes a girl a girl? And the first reaction, generally speaking, is that it's it's by our genitals. And now people are questioning that, of course. Of course. And I question it too. It's part of it. It's not the whole of it. I want you to consider 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. And I would take this young man or this young woman to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then I would read these verses. Well, let's just read the one verse. There's a whole lot that's said and it's a little out of context, but it doesn't change the meaning. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 11 says, Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? And then it goes on to say that likewise, who knows the thoughts of God but his spirit? Okay. I don't know if you caught that. Let's just slow it down for a moment. How uh, oftentimes, you know, like, um, oh, here's what happened to me. I uh, uh, bought a, uh, uh, a pair of, uh, I mean, some T-shirts. And uh, I'm proud to report they were too big for me. And nothing like that has happened in a while. So I was so excited to go to the store and exchange these things, okay? So I walked in, and the lady looks at me and says, yes, what's your problem? These are too big, with a big smile. She said, well, go back to the back and get some that is the right fit and bring it back, and we'll exchange them. So I go back, and I look, and I can't find them. I looked everywhere, everywhere. I looked high and low. I even tried different aisles. I, tried, I, I looked everywhere. And I couldn't find them. So I come back and I say, I'm sorry, I can't find them. She pulls out her, uh, her uh, computer and checks on the screen. There should be four of them back there. And I said, my wife and I have this problem. You know, it's in the refrigerator somewhere. I, I swear to God, it's not there. And she swears to God, it is there. And she's always right. But see, I think that God plays tricks on us sometimes. I think that... It, when I opened the door, they were literally invisible. And then when she speaks, they come into being. And let's stick with that one. <clears throat> so the, the, the lady, <clears throat> the lady just, she knows she's got a problem in front of her, me. She speaks right over me to a coworker. She said, would you go get his T-shirts? I said, honestly, I've looked everywhere in like no, like three seconds. The girl's back. Here they are. And I, I said, I'm so sorry. I, I, do you have a Bible? I'll swear on a Bible. They were not back there a minute ago. And she says to me, it's a guy thing. Don't forget two lanes are four. I'm just a... <clears throat> so, Paul is essentially saying the same. It's a guy thing. Who really understands the thinking of a man, of a male? Certainly not women. And oftentimes not the men either, but you know... <clears throat> For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Paul is saying that there's not only... When God created us, Psalm 139, fearfully, fearfully and wonderfully, we were created. Uh, Psalm 139 says, For you created me and in my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that you ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Which is saying that, that God knows me so well that even before He knew me before I was born. He knew me in my mother's womb, but he knew me before my mother's womb. He knew me because he willed me. As he, because he willed me, it's not just because, well, we, we believe that life begins with conception. And the conception is actually not just egg and sperm meeting together. It's the conception is in the heart of God. He conceives life and he grants life. And he knows all the things about me, what is true and what is not true, he knows. And, and then one of the things that he does for me, as he did in the very beginning, is he breathes the breath of life into me. And I'm not just a man. I'm not just a, a body. I'm not just clay. I, I'm also spirit. He breathes his spirit inside of me. I'm hoping you catching where I'm going with this because what if... I were a man, well, let's just use Nero as an example. There's so much said about uh, Emperor Nero that it's hard to sort out fact from fiction and myth from legend and all that sort of thing. But it does seem to be that he was responsible for burning Rome. But it also seems that he was responsible for burning it just so he could clear it for his own palace. He wanted to make a bigger place and he just burned. Okay, so anyways, he's that kind of nice guy, right? The other thing that he is supposed to be responsible for is he had a, an immense love for a girl. For a, he had a lover. He loved her so much. She was a mistress. And uh, he was so green-eyed jealous over her that he had her killed. And then he grieved her. So he grieved her so much that he took his male um, slave, castrated the young boy removed all the genitals and tried to make that young boy into as much of a woman as he could make him in with the, the technology that was available to him. And he tried to love that boy as it was a girl and it didn't work, you know. What's my point? My point is, what if, what if I am a male and what if I question, maybe I'm a female and I have my genitals removed? What, what, if, what if that happens? What if I go through hormone therapy and hormone treatment? What if I go through all of that at the end of the day to find out that I have removed all the physical evidence of, of what I was, but in my heart of hearts, I have a spirit that is masculine no matter what. Or I have a spirit that is feminine no matter what. In either case, well, we are, we are left with a challenge challenge is when I look at myself in the mirror now, it, it looks to many people and to myself like I really have truly changed genders. But there's that guy thing yet inside of me. My spirit that is masculine inside of me. I just want to remind you that um, um, Solomon said uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter 20, that the spirit of man is the lamp or the candlestick of the Lord. It searches out all the inmost parts of his being. So when God wants to do uh, like internal healing, inner healing, he, he, he speaks, his spirit speaks to my spirit. And my spirit, 
reveals the things inside of my heart, the landmines, the pitfalls, the hurts, the wounds, the confusion, all of the, uh, the, the, the traumas, all those things are recorded and, 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 and lodged in my soul, in my spirit. And so, uh, you know, Solomon is able to say to his sons, I, you know, as, as future kings, you need to know that the spirit that is inside of you is able to search your heart out and the spirit of God is able to join with your spirit and he's able to see inside of you the way you think, the way you act. I'm able to inform your conscience and I'm able to inform your intellect, but the spirit inside of you knows the truth. The spirit inside of you knows the truth, no matter what. Don't come to me. Don't send me pictures. I've been there, you know, already. It's like, what do you do with this? I mean, this guy clearly looks like a woman. And I'm going to just say, yeah, that's the outward man, but the inner man, the hidden man of the heart. What is that? Who is he? Who is she? God uh, told King, uh, told uh, uh, Saul, not Saul, but uh, Samuel, when he was anointing Saul and and uh, as king and. Saul was impressed with, I mean, uh, Samuel was impressed with Saul's height and his stature and all that sort of thing. And, and God reminds him that, you know, we look on the outward. So, like, we could look at him and say, in every way he looks like a leader. But God knew that he wasn't. God allowed Saul to be anointed as king. But in his inner working, he was not a leader. He was not. He was not. And believe it or not, David, who was short and ruddy, strong, didn't look like a leader at all. In fact, his own dad neglected to, to mention him to the prophet, to consider him. But God was able to look in David's heart and say, now that man is a leader. That man has integrity of heart. That man loves me. That man knows how to relate to me. That man hears my voice. And so God rejected Saul eventually. And, and it, you know, the thing was that, that, that the prophet Samuel was able to prophesy and to speak and act for God, but he wasn't able to see past the physical. So I, I just want to remind you that um, the outward appearance can completely fool us. We can fool each other. We can put on masks. We can, oh, there's all kinds of ways that we can fool one another, but only God is able to see the heart. And I, I want to assure you that if you're confused about your gender, you know that God actually knows who you are and what you are. And he's given you a masculine or a feminine spirit. And um, there's traces of that throughout the scriptures. You know, I just want to uh, mention these couple uh, here. That when God created man... Uh, he was created in the image of God. And I want you to consider this for a moment, that Adam was created, he was formed from the dust of the earth. He was created in the image of God. And uh, then God steps back and he said, you know, God created them male and female. He created them, you know. But but he doesn't exactly give us the direct order of how things go. So he does then go 
into chapter 2, and in chapter 2, then he begins to show how that at one point, um, Adam was not able to, to do the things that God has assigned him to do, which was to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth, and to subdue it. And uh, so, here is David, and he, he's in the image of God, which means that he technically has a feminine and a masculine spirit, both with inside of him. He's a full-orbed man, just as Jesus was a full-orbed man of a new creation. <clears throat> Adam was full-orbed in the old creation. And so uh, he was not able to reproduce by himself, so God puts him to sleep. He takes from his side a rib, and he fashions. He formed Adam. He fashions or builds a woman. So when we say that woman's really built, you know, it's, we, it, God knew that, you know. That was a little joke there. Okay. <clears throat> the men got it. Okay. All right. So he fashioned uh, Eve into a woman. And then later we read in chapter 4 that Adam and Eve knew each other or they had intercourse. And when they had intercourse, the product of that intercourse was that she then declares, I have acquired or literally begotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. So we have Adam formed. We have Eve uh, fashioned. We have uh, a child begotten. And ever since then, that's how humankind reproduces and multiplies. It's through the union of a male and a female. And I, I, I just need to point out to you that there was a male spirit and there was a female spirit literally in Adam I guess you know in, in any case um, God took something from him and made something for him and gave something back to him and then from that they were able to successfully multiply and fill the earth I also could take you to uh, you know, I, I could take you to Matthew 19, and there Jesus mentions something very fascinating. Well, let's just look there. Matthew 19. I, I think um, there could be someone saying, "What? It's too late for me. I've already had surgeries. I've had hormone." And by the way, the earlier they start these hormone therapies, the the, the longer lasting and more difficult it is to reverse. Sometimes people are able to reverse some of the effects of it, but oftentimes not. But what if a person says to me, it's too late, man, it's too late for me. I've already had the surgeries and there's no going back and I've already had the, the hormone therapy and stuff like that. Um, interestingly, when Jesus was being um, uh, questioned um, by religious leaders, about divorce they wanted to trap him and trick him into getting his head removed just as John the Baptist had and uh, Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 19 uh, the disciples said to him if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this then is it better not to marry and he said to them not all men can accept this statement but only those to whom it has been given verse 12 very very specific words for there are eunuchs castrated genitals removed 
For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, such as the man who protects the harem of women. The best security against spoiling the women would be to remove his genitals, right? Okay. And other reasons they did that. But So there are, by nature, there are birth defects. There's birth defects. There's what is done by men. And then, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He was able to accept this, let him accept it. He's not saying that there were men who removed their genitals so that they could be devout to Jesus. They're, they made themselves a spiritual eunuch. It's not too late for you. You can return to Jesus and become a spiritual eunuch or whatever. You know, it is that you feel the Lord is leading you into. But the point is this, that, that removing the organs does not alone change the spirit inside of a man. In the book of Revelations and elsewhere, when the afterlife or the resurrection or eternity or heaven is spoken of, always uses male and female pronouns. Always uses male and female pronouns. In fact, in Matthew 22, he says, now listen, in, in the resurrection, there isn't giving, there isn't marriage and giving in marriage, which is his way of saying there's, there's no need for procreation. There is no, well, the resurrected bodies are what, minus the genitals? I'm guessing, I don't know. That's yet to be seen. But they're nevertheless referred to as him or her all throughout the book of Revelation and other uh, references to uh, eternity to come. So having said that, I just my question is for this young man or young woman in front of me is, have you considered what makes a boy a boy? Have you considered what makes a girl a girl? And would you consider that perhaps, according to biblical understanding, that it's, it's deeper than the mechanics and the physics of X's and O's? It goes deeper into the spirit. As a matter of fact, it is actually the spirit of man that needs to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are, how you identify, you can respond to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with me one last time. Having said these things, and understanding that Nero, who did what he did so catastrophically, could not change his boy servant into a girl. But honestly, today we have technology that didn't exist prior to World War II. In World War II, when plastic surgery became greatly available by the 1970s, which is just after the sexual revolution, the 1970s, plastic surgery became widespread. And today, there is added to it hormone therapy and treatment. So... <clears throat> It is possible to change the appearance 
of a person from one thing to another, from an X to an O, if you will. But it can never change the spirit, the heart of a man. Only God can change that. Father, we pray today in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would begin this process of changing the hearts of men and women. We, we, we don't know how to hear each other well. We, we don't know how to love each other well. And, it, and right now, it just seems like that our, our quickest, our quickest defense is to run to something political. And Father, I just, from abortion to this issue that's in front of us, when when we turn the, the matters of the heart, the issues of the heart, when we turn the morals of a man's soul into a political issue, everyone loses, everyone loses. No one wins, no one wins. I'm asking, Father, today that you would begin a revival in this country. I pray, Lord Jesus, that the Christian values and ethics that this country was built upon would rise up again. But this time when we rise up, Lord Jesus, I pray it would not be in defiance. It would not be with a pointing finger, but it would be with broken hearts and longing souls and a hand outstretched. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that there'd be within us a desire that we would say, give us your poor and broken, your huddled masses, and the church of Jesus Christ will love them and redeem them through the precious word of faith that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask for hearts that not only believe, we ask, Lord, for hearts that receive. We ask, Lord Jesus, for hearts that not only believe and not only receive. We pray, Lord Jesus, that hands that begin, for hands that begin to heal and lives that begin to transform society as true salt and as true life light in this world. Lord, I pray that we begin to show a more excellent way. <clears throat> I ask you, Father God, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would have mercy on us <clears throat> because we're heading down a road and we have no idea where it's headed. But we believe, Lord Jesus, that you're returning to this earth. <clears throat> but I don't want to give up on this earth. I don't want to give up on this people. I don't want to give up on this culture. I know you're coming. I feel that you're coming soon. But Lord, I, I'm not ready to give up on them, Lord Jesus. I want to raise my children here. I want to raise my grandchildren here. I want to raise my great-grandchildren here. I want the uh, future generations to have a hope and a faith and a courage and a joy in Jesus Christ. So help us, God, we pray. Amen.